Welcome to The Bear and the Ball. I'm your host, Nick Webster. Today, delighted to be joined by John O'Sullivan, founder and CEO of Changing the Game Projects. John has a vast and varied resume. Uh, author of two best-selling books, Changing the Game, The Parent's Guide to Raising Happy, High-Performing Athletes, and Giving Youth Sports Back to Our Kids. And Every Moment Matters, How the World's Best Coaches Inspire Their Athletes and Build Championship Teams. John has been featured on CNN, Outside Magazine, ESPN, NBC Sports, and many other media outlets. John, welcome to The Bear and the Ball. Nick, thanks for having me on. I've watched you on TV for many years, and so it's nice to join you here. Well, the first thing I'm going to do then, I've got to talk to you about the Wilmington Hammerheads. I read in your (laughs) bio, this is a team you played for, and the reason I bring it up was I was the coach of Cal FC back in 2012, and we played the Hammerheads in the second round of the US Open Cup in Wilmington, and we won (laughs) 4-0. Nice. Awesome. Well, I'm 52, so I was long done by then. <laughs> my my last year, I think, was 1997 or something in the beginning. But uh, yeah, Wilmington was a super fun place to play. We made it into the farther rounds, the U.S. Open Cup in 97. And uh, it was great. You know, that, you know, that was like the first year of Major League Soccer. And I think we outdrew some of the MLS teams down there in Wilmington. We had great fa- fans and it was a super fun place to live for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the crowd that night, I think it was roughly, you know, five, 6,000. Yeah. And I, I do remember this though. So it was kind of mid June, maybe the second or third week of June. And it was hot. Yeah, it was definitely, you always knew you were at practice because you were sweating when you got out of the car, that's for sure. <laughs> and they put they put us in this changing room, and I swear to God, John, you could not swing a cat in this changing room. So you can imagine, you know, there's 18 grown men, three coaches, it's 100 degrees, it was like 150 in that changing room. Something's Yeah, Le- Legion Stadium was not a new stadium, that's for sure. <laughs> So let's get let's get into uh, some of the things that you're working on right now. And wh- one of the things that strikes me and continues to strike me is the number of kids that quit playing sports, not just soccer, but quit playing sports. 70% of kids at the age of 13, 14 go, mm, I'm done. And this is after playing a sport that they potentially love, like for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. And to lose these kids to me is, an, it, not only is it a travesty, I personally think it's a crime. Yeah. Why does this keep happening and what can we do to stop it from happening? Well, I, I don't think anyone's naive enough to think that uh, youth sports now, the, you know, the business of youth sports is bigger than the NFL and it's only growing. Right. And the business of youth sports is set up to serve the needs of the business, not necessarily the needs of the child in sport. Right. So there's no psychologist or physical therapist or pediatric orthopedic who would say, yeah, kids should be doing this year round, no breaks, high intensity, emphasis on winning, all that sort of stuff. Yet that's what the business of sport is set up. Now, I think there's some really good people out there coaching, trying to make a difference, but then they come, you know, they combat this, you know, 
the youth sports industrial complex, if you will, and and it's really hard, right? Or you lose your top kid, or you lose your teams. Who you know, who, people who are sold this myth of more, 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 younger, 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 and it, it's it's just sad because I I think you know, especially soccer is just such an amazing sport. So many kids, it's the first sport they do. We have this great, easy, cheap introduction. And like we get all these people in the door and they all walk right out the back door. And it's it's kind of sad. Well, let me ask you this. Is this unique to the United States or is, is this a phenomenon that's happening throughout the world? I mean, it's hard to compare um, different places because, you know, clearly in England, there's grassroots football and then there's academy football. Um, and but we also know many of the kids in the academy system get washed out and these tier one academies, you know, one percent or less of those kids even make it to the Premier League or turn pro. So so there's a lot of people, you know, and, and the thing is, soccer doesn't have to be for everyone, but I'd like a kid to leave and come back and play in adult league, play in the adult rec league coach their kids someday and say you know what i had a great experience and i had a really good coach who just made this super fun and you know what i was better at swimming or i was better at basketball so i did that but i always love soccer and and i think that's where we sort of we dump everyone in the basket of be the next alex morgan instead of play this game forever and let the alex alex morgans emerge from the vast number of people playing. Yeah, that's certainly my philosophy as well. Uh, you know, coaching at, at the at so many different levels, but when, I, when I'm coaching at the high school level, my, my goal is to have these kids love the sport so much that when they grow up and they have children, the first sport that they think about is soccer. And I've been lucky enough to, you know, work at different uh, organizations and being there for a length of time that the kids have actually graduated, grown up, come back, and we do the alumni games now, and they're not only playing themselves, but their kids are playing, and I, I find that so gratifying. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, when do you think this industrial race, this arms race for the excellence, the college scholarships, the, the, the pro deals that you, know, you and I know are 0.1% of mm-hmm. you know, soccer players, but parents don't and the reason i feel like they don't is they're sold they're sold by snake oil salesmen telling them that this is the goal but in reality it's not um so what when do you think this arms race started and is there a way we can start educating parents and just letting them know that this is a sport to play for fun it does not have to be played at the highest level Right. And and I think a, an important distinction is it still can be fun at the highest level. Yes, there's more pressure and stress, of course, but enjoyment and competitiveness are not mutually exclusive, right? I, I think you can enjoy an incredibly challenging environment and practice and go, that was great. I can't wait to do that again, right? And so I think that's an important distinction. Um, number two, so I, you know, like I said, I'm 52. I grew up on Long Island. There was a ton of good players that I grew up playing with and against and that went on to U.S. national team and beyond. But the, the arms race didn't start so young, 
right? There's just been this downward spiral and it's sort of like, okay, well, you know, we got them at 11. That's when we start travel. Well, let's organize the 10-year-olds. And then two years later, you know, the 10-year-olds are already organized. Let's just start traveling and let's go to the nine-year-olds, right? And now some states, it's like when I lived in Michigan for a while, I was coaching there. And uh, at that point, it was under nine. Well, now it's like under six, right? And it's like, it's just this, well, we got them. Let's go younger and younger and younger. Now, I did see this one interesting thing once. It was like, 1994 or something like that, the word playdate um, got put into the Webster's Dictionary, right? And this idea that kids getting together needed to now be organized and scheduled ahead of time was not something I grew up with, right? It was just go out in the street and be back by dark, right? And so what happened at that time was, well, if we're going to get people organized and schedule it, well, why not hire someone to be there? Right. And so this is when kids started getting this overscheduled childhood um, where they lost free time and time to figure it out. And so it wasn't just, hey, let's show up and play baseball or hockey or basketball or soccer. It just became, you know, let's show up and we've hired a coach to take care of you for the next hour. Um, and I think that's that's where it is. And in certain places, right, that pressure to fill every moment of a kid's life and to hire the private coach and do more and more is is very extreme. Part of the reason that, you know, we raised our family in Bend, Oregon, was they could ski and bike and have a little less pressure to pick one thing at a very young age and go all in. Why isn't there pushback from parents, though? I mean... As as a parent myself, you know my, my 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 day is filled with activities and things to do, and the and the the last thing I want to do at the weekend is drive fifty miles or a hundred mile round trip for an under ten game that means absolutely nothing when my local team, my other local team, the our rivals are two miles down the road, but because. You know, we play in different leagues. You know, we certainly can't play one another. And if we play one another, then, oh, my God, what happens if one team wins and the other team loses? Now half the kids are going to be going, well, I want to play on my friend's team because they're better than us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, I do. I, I, I look at the parents and, and I feel like it's your fault we're in this mess. Is, is, is that the case or are they, are they just being given too many choices and they're not educated enough and, and, and they get too easily swayed? I mean, I just, I, I'm trying to get my head around why is this happening? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not an easy answer, right? But it's funny, your story reminds me out of this author, David Epstein, on our podcast, and he wrote a great book called The Sports Gene and another one called Range about why generalists triumph in a specialized world. And he's like, he was living in Brooklyn at the time, and he said, you know, in the park across from my apartment, there was an under seven travel soccer team. He's like, I found it hard to believe that a group of seven-year-olds couldn't get a game in a city of 10 million people, right? And I think that's like, that's perfect. And and so if I had to narrow it down to one word, I I think it's fear. It's, It's fear of missing out, fear of, you know, not giving your kid everything and feeling like, oh, I, I failed as a parent. And also fear of, of rocking the boat. I mean, you're a guy with a background in the game that might stand up and say, you know what, this doesn't make sense for my 10 year old when we could do this. Um, but I would guarantee that if you said that there would people would be like, 
yeah, but we're still going to do it because if we rock the boat, they're going to give our spot away on this team or whatever. And so I get phone calls from people who are like, what am I supposed to do? It's our last family reunion. Grandma's 90. That She's got six months to live. And the soccer coach says we have to go to the tournament or we're going to get kicked off the team. This happens all the time. These are real scenarios, right? And that's the problem is um, it's that fear instead of, you know, well, why did you sign your kid up for sports in the first place? Was it to destroy your family and never do family things and never have a vacation? No, of course not. I would hope it was because I want my kid to be athletic and active and, you know, um, learn great life lessons. And sports needs to be that vehicle and at some point sport you know has to take a back seat to other things that are important in our life as well i mean i explained to the parents who you know take the time to listen to me that you have the power you're the one paying the money you know you you have you have the choice why why let yourself be bullied and you know look, I, I get this fear of missing out but i mean let's let's be honest fear of missing out on what and I mean, I really do feel like this, this, this parent education component, everybody's afraid of it for some, un, 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 I, for a reason I haven't quite worked out yet. But I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that if we can, if we can educate parents in, in a way that takes, like you've said, the, that, the anxiety, that, that feeling like I'm not giving my kid the best, if we can take that out, and I'm not sure how to do it, I'm sure we could get back to, and you know, this is this is me being a you know, like you, a 50 year old man, uh, get back to that moment where we can go to the park with our mates mm-hmm. and just play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right that some of the fear is, you know, what do they say? False evidence appearing real, right? It's like it's not really there. It's this, you know, our our youth sports system is this self-fulfilling prophecy that if you're not in the pipeline at six, it's really hard to get back in at nine. It's almost impossible to get in at 11, right? Uh, because kids are too far behind even though athletically it's a great time to get back in right and the kids just growing and oftentimes the kids as we know who are identified as the quote talented ones at these really young ages they're just older they're just born closer to january 1 right and so and so it's not really you know that they're better going to be better long term they're just bigger faster stronger a little older a little more mature now you know and i had like my daughter was a december birthday she was like the 33rd tallest kid <laughs> out of, you know, 34 until she was like 15. And then it was like, whoop. And everyone's like, wow, she got so much better. I'm like, no, she just finally grew, right? Playing against kids at 12 who were done growing, you know? And so, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of it's irrational. A lot of it is the pressure that I think social media and society puts on parents to be perfect, to not let your kid down, right? And what does social media do? It, it shows everyone, you know, everyone else's highlights and we compare it to our, you know, the turmoil going on in our lives and be like, what's wrong with me? They're on the perfect vacation and the kid's got all the first place medals and, you know, my kid can, you know, my kid doesn't even seem to like sports. 
oh my God, what are we going to do? And, and so it's a, it's a really, it's a hard thing. I mean, again, I have two, a junior and senior in high school. I'm almost done with this part of the journey and it's been hard. I mean, it's even knowing what I know, it's been really hard. So, you know, obviously there's, there's, there's parental burnout and then there's the kids athlete burnout, which is why we lose so many kids at that 13, 14 age. How can we as parents prevent our kids from burning out from a sport that they, they love? I mean, I mean, number one, they need to own it, right? So it's got to be their goals, not mom and dad's goals. So they need autonomy. They need enjoyment, so the environment can't be abusive or whatever. It's got to be fun. And, you know, what drives fun is positive coaching and good team dynamics and, you know, challenging coach and being with friends that drives fun. And then those things breed intrinsic motivation, right? And intrinsic motivation um, gets you to come back and gets you to practice on your own. And I say to parents, like, think about this. Like, how many of you have ever started a workout program? Right. Yeah. January one. Right. Everyone goes to the gym four days a week. Right. How many of you are still doing it three months later and half the hands go down? How many of you are doing it a year later? Another half the hands go down. I'm like, so you can't show up to the gym one hour a day, three days a week for more than three months. But you expect your kid to show up to three to four soccer practices and a game or two on the weekend for nine straight years and then think there's something wrong with them when they're like, you know, I think I'd like to go to a birthday party, right? I think I'd like to try something else. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And so that that's where we sort of, you know, so if they at the end of a 10-week season when they're six or seven say, I want to play basketball for a couple months, great. Because you're not going to the gym every day anymore either, are you? <laughs> so, I mean, I think that's just a way to think about it. We get burned out on stuff as well. You know, it's 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 funny. Um, my my wife talks about the manual, you know, and the 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 manual was never actually written for the parents, and the manual changes for every single parent and every single child. So. Do you believe there's a wrong way and a right way to approach this? Well, that's a great question. And I think, I mean, let's go back to this. Like I'll, when I'm doing speaking engagements, I'll ask the audience, like how many of you have more than one child, right? And most, most do. I'm like, are they different? And everyone laughs, right? I'm like, so here's kids who are completely different in their motivation, their attitude, their desire to play, all these sort of things. And they were raised by the same parents. They ate the same food. They slept in the same house. And they're different. Why would you compare your kid's path to someone else's? It's it's completely different, right? And so I, I agree with your your wife that there's, you know, there's no manual that says do this followed by this, right? Um, you know, you could try to do what Mark Pulisic did for Christian, but that's Christian. Right. And Christian, you know, was a very motivated, driven kid. And, and Mark and Kelly spent a lot of time saying, no, don't do this. Don't do that. You know, whatever. Protecting him so he didn't get burned out. Um, so I think, well, there's no manual. I would say that there's basic principles. Right. And those principles would be like, again, is this environment enjoyable? Is it age and ability appropriate? Um, is, is, the, is this my son or daughter's goals that they're the one who wants to be here? 
and and um, it's driven by them, not by me. Um, and, you know, does it fit within what our family is capable of doing? I mean, we shouldn't have to remortgage the house in the hopes that at the end, the likelihood of getting a $4,000 a year soccer scholarship. You talk about environment and, you know, you, you have a, obviously a big background in, in coaching. As a coach, when you step into a, a new environment, how do you go about shaping it to what you think it needs to be? That's a great question. Uh, I mean, I think that all, first of all, it depends on age, right? Who's in front of me, right? In, in this moment, right? So currently I coach an under 17 boys team and I coach, uh, run a program that's got 50, you know, eight year olds and nine year olds, right? They, they need something a little bit different, but I always go, um, I, I always go back to this idea of, if I was a player, would I want to be part of this practice? <laughs> right? I mean, I think I think that's like a great box to check right there. Would I want to be part of this practice? Right? Is it moving quickly? Is it enjoyable? Are we actually playing the game? Right? Because I don't think any kid has ever signed up for my eight, nine-year-old program and said, you know, I hope we stand in line a lot today. Like, that would be awesome, right? No, they, they want to play. They want to look like the game. They want one-on-ones and two-on-ones and the ability to score goals and, and things like that. Like, that's the point. So I, so I think that's a big part of the environment. Number two, just the ability for the coach, you know, to check in and, and know kids and, you know, little tiny check-ins. Yeah, hey, you got your hair cut or whatever. Hey, I, you know, sorry you weren't at practice last night. How was your band concert? You know, things like that make kids feel seen. Um, that's a big part of it as, as well. And then as they get older, you know, building that relationship with their parents, the most influential people in their lives, to let the parents know, hey, I see your kid, right? You know, Nick hasn't seen himself the last couple of weeks, kind of struggling, kind of out of it. Is, it. is he okay? Anything going on at home? You send that little text or an email to a parent, and then they go, oh, my God, I can't believe you noticed this is what's happening. We're getting divorced. We're, you know, dad was diagnosed with cancer, this, that, right? And I think that type of environment where the parents and the kids and the coach are all working together is something that keeps people coming back and, and excited. And, you know, I, I, I think whether you're a volunteer or a paid coach, the, the greatest paycheck that you get is 10 years later when a kid says, can you come to my wedding, <laughs> Right. It was the most important event of my life. And, and I'm sure with you, you've probably been to plenty as well. And no one ever said, Nick, thanks for teaching me the 433. That really come to my wedding, right? <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I, I think the, uh, for me, the, the wins are always that moment where, you know, you look in a kid's eyes and you see, you see the fire. Amen. You, you see, like you say, that recognition, uh, you see them. Um, but let's let's talk, you know, briefly on on that technical side of things. You you say you coach a seventeen year old boys, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think? What are the components of a great practice? Um, so you know, I think so. We we get in our club here, we get ninety minutes, half a field, twice a week for team practice, and then we do like a club wide technical training day where kids get access to all the coaches in the club. And we got a ton of great coaches, including former 
collegiate head coaches and uh, actually a former U.S. national team head coach on the women's side. And, and so we try to give kids, you know, like a lot of clubs have like, oh, who's this, you know, famous coach that your kid will never see, right? And so um, so we do that. So we try to do a lot of, you know, the the technical stuff on one night where they do some station work with these. And then we try to make um, our our other practices quite game space. So if I have, let's say if I have four activities, three of them will have defenders and something like that, right? So I tend to like um, the rondos and the, you know, and, and position play games and building. I, I like to always finish with some sort of game to goal um, because that's why they're there. Um, and, um, you know, I, I mean, what we know from just you know how people learn is that context isn't noise it's information and if they're not seeing it in practice they can't do it in the game right and soccer is about you know assessing situations coming up with solutions picking one technically executing it and then assessing your choice and doing it again and again and again you don't get that standing in line without a defender you don't get that dribbling around a cone and so so it's finding the balance between will they develop technically within something that looks like a game, and I and I believe they can. In your your book title, "Every Moment Matters: How the World's Best Coaches Inspire Their Athletes and Build Championship Teams," who inspires you? <laughs> That's an awesome question. Um, so that book was written after. Um, after uh probably so we have a podcast called way of champions and that was probably 150 episodes in and so we had gotten to interview some amazing coaches and and athletes at that point you know i i would say personally you know going back like my my first ever coach when i was a little kid was amazing just made me fall in love with soccer um I had a great mentor sort of in my 20s. I was coaching college, and a guy named Jerry Yeagley from Indiana University was just a wonderful. He taught me how to make people feel like they're the most important person in the room, and I am so much worse at it than him, but he, he's just incredible and has remained a, a friend and someone I always enjoy seeing. Um, and then – you know, it's just, you know, I do the podcast with a guy named Dr. Jerry Lynch. He's a sports psychologist for 50 years, and he's been a, a great friend and mentor of mine sort of in this transitional phase of my own coaching to like, can I really make this a transformational experience for the kids? And then through Jerry, I've gotten to talk to Steve Kerr and Quinn Snyder and, you know, amazing coaches on that level of you know the highest level of sport and um we've gotten to you know i mean i got to interview tony DeChico right before he passed away ants endurance in the soccer realm you know i've had some pretty great caleb porter chris armis on the podcast and stuff so it's it's been a fun you know it's been a fun journey so i get you know as i'm sure you get to talk to interesting people and you pick a bit here and pick a bit there and then you try to make it sound pretty coming out yeah, I've, I've always actually been inspired by uh, actually John Wooden and mm. that that pyramid of success. What, what's what's your take on that? Well, I think the most important block in that pyramid of success is is love, right? Like love, like that's the key. 
as a coach, I have to love my players and I have to be in it for their best thing. And as a team, right, we have to love each other, right? We have to be connected and, and care. Um, and and as you know, and, and in that relationship with parents on the youth level, even the collegiate level, right? They they have to know that again. I I, I love their kids, and and I I trying to do everything and I'm going to screw it up once in a while in the best interest for them. And so, you know, I think John Wooden was way ahead of his time. And I also think one of the most important things that we can learn from John Wooden is he wasn't the same coach in 1960 that he was in 1980. He evolved. You know, his first teams, they were soldiers returning from the Korean War and Vietnam War. Yes, sir. No, sir. Whatever. That's not Bill Walton, right? That's not Lou Alcindor, right? And so he had to evolve as well. And I think too many coaches are stuck in this is how I've always done it, and they're not open to anything new. I think that's a great, great moment to end that on love. And I think that's something that I've learned over the years is is loving my athletes, loving the process of of understanding them and 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 becoming friends and mentors with them and yeah uh i think it's probably the most powerful component in coaching and mm-hmm. uh you've got to be a little bit vulnerable and that's a, that's another topic altogether so um, <laughs> we'll be back <laughs> yes we'll, we'll definitely be back um how, how do uh listeners of bear and the ball get in touch with you yeah, so um, changingthegameproject.com is the mothership. That's the website with the blog. It has the link to all of our podcasts. We just did a actually just did a great one with Michael Gervais, the sports psychologist um, down from your area there. Super interesting. Um, and that's it. The books, I mean, Amazon is, is probably the best. Changing the game and every moment matters. There's the audio version. I do have a brand new book as well uh, called The Champion Teammate that Jerry and I wrote together. It just came out in the summer. Uh, so I got to update whatever bio you grab there. And uh, Champion Teammate uh, is, is really a book written for high school and college and middle school teams of like, how can I be a great teammate? Um, you know, because it's a pretty in-demand thing beyond sport. And so short chapters questions it's really hey every week we'll do a chapter and have a team discussion on how we can connect and how we can compete better and how we can lead better and so uh it's been really fun having you know people like anson buy it for his whole team and collegiate teams and now everyone's kind of this fall saying oh look we won our state championship oh we won our conference for the first time ever this book was great so that's on amazon there as well John O'Sullivan, founder and CEO, Changing the Game Project. Thanks so much for joining The Bear and the Ball. And for more on Cal South, please visit calsouth.com. And as always, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, well, we'll see you real soon back on the pitch. I'm Nick Webster, host of Bear and the Ball. Bye for now.